Ryan Millsap, chairman and CEO of Atlanta-based Black Hall Studios, is one of today's top entertainment executives with a vision for Black Hall that's ambitious, energizing, and boundless. Millsap is blazing a trail through the heart of the South and setting his sights on the future of entertainment. Listen and learn as Ryan Millsap journeys through the myriad industries, people, and landscapes that traverse the complex and dynamic world of film production. I'm Ryan Millsap, host of the Black Hall Studios podcast from Atlanta, Georgia. I'm an entrepreneur, mostly by necessity because I have massive authority issues, and also by constitution as the entrepreneurial life is filled with things I love, freedom, adventure, creativity, and imagination. When I began this leg of my journey into the entertainment industry, you may find it interesting to know that my background before this was all commercial real estate and that I built Black Hall Studios as a specialty real estate project for production giants like Disney, Sony, Warner Brothers, and Universal to have a place to apply their skilled craft of production. I'm from Los Angeles, but I moved to Atlanta six years ago. I've done business all over the world, and I know a few places with the dynamism of Atlanta. It's a world-class city with a huge economic future as a center of commerce for a global economy. On this podcast, we get local and global and talk to people who are inspirational, sensational, sometimes motivational, but at all times somehow tied to the ecosystem that is the culture and business of entertainment as it relates to Black Hall Studios. On today's podcast, I welcome Pastor Aaron Jones of Mount Nebo Baptist Church and Life Center. Pastor Jones is described as radical, refreshing, and relevant. You will definitely hear elements of these descriptors in this interview. Mount Nebo is a neighbor to Black Hall Studios in Atlanta, Georgia, and I was very interested in hearing about the new, improvised, and brilliantly led programs that Pastor Jones put into place during this pandemic that our country is experiencing. It's true, and you will again hear this from Pastor Jones, that life gets smaller when disaster hits. You rely on your neighbors. You rely on your church. So a pastor's job gets incrementally bigger and more important during difficult and stressful times. Listen up as I talk with Pastor Aaron Jones III from Mount Nebo Baptist Church, my neighbor, and now a man I call my friend. Pastor Jones, welcome. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me, Ryan. I'm glad to be here with you. You've been a pastor for quite some time. I I believe you went directly into the ministry out of college. Is that correct? Uh, yes, sir. I um, started preaching about 21 years ago and started pastoring 20 years ago. So I was pretty much about a year after I really preached what we call our initial trial sermon in the church, uh, I started pastoring. Yes, sir. How does one's calling as a healer of souls change over the course of 20 years? Well, I mean, it, it changes with. Um, with the times, really, uh, with pretty much what's going on within our world, within our economy, our society, it changes within the neighborhood, you know, that you are called to serve. So there, there are varying things that causes it to change. It, it changes with maturity, of course, uh, with different things that you learn, different things that you experience. So there, there are a lot of things that causes, you know, one's calling, you know, of course, the calling stays the same. 
Uh, let me say that. But, you know, your method, if you will, of how you carry out that calling may change. You know, same with the life of Jesus. Um, you know, Jesus' calling never changed, but his method in how he ministered or how he dealt with people constantly changed. You know, there's a scripture in the Bible that says, you know, uh, Jesus the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. Of course, I paraphrase and always tell people, you know, whenever they recite or quote that scripture that, you know, the personality of Jesus or the person of Jesus never changed, but, uh, you know, his method uh, constantly changed. And so if we're going to be, of course, relevant and uh, if our preaching and ministry is going to be effective, then, you know, our method has to change, but that calling pretty much stays the same. Your 45-year-old wise pastor self could speak to your 22-year-old newly minted pastor self. What are some of the things that you would say to that young man? Um, listen more. Be patient. My dad used to always tell me, you know, you have two ears for a reason. Uh, you listen uh, more than you talk. And so I think I, w- I would tell that young 20-year-old pastor to listen uh, and just be patient. Yeah, this has been a really crazy time in all of our lives, this COVID experience. Yeah. Share with us some of the things that you've been experiencing at Mount Nebo. You're right in the heart of where there's been outbreaks, where there's been significant economic impact. What are some of the things you guys have been doing? I know you've been doing some testing, providing testing for people, food. Share with us how you guys have have dealt with this crisis. I I really appreciate it, Ryan, because, you know, that's so key. One of the things, and I think you just hit on it, uh, that was really troublesome to me personally was the disparities that exist in our community. And then, of course, looking at this whole COVID-19 situation, you know, from a national perspective, if you will, one of the things that they were constantly uh, that has constantly been stressed is the need for widespread testing. And so, you know, because our church, uh, which is 120 years old, uh, has been really in the Thomasville community since day one, that was the biggest thing for us. We wanted to see how we could affect, you know, touch our community. I believe that, you know, the church has to make sure it serves its local community first. And so, uh, of course, we, as you said, we provided COVID-19 testing. Uh, we are we're feeding people every uh, Tuesday and Friday. We actually started doing that last week and it will run all the way to, I think, August the 8th. We are, of course, our services are virtual, uh, whereas, you know, we're offering services on Sunday and Wednesday to uh, just, you know, to, to speak life and to speak words of inspiration and encouragement uh, to people. As we just hit a few minutes ago, you know, there are so many disparities within this community alone. And so we're just trying to be of service to people whereby we can help them in any way possible, whether it's like we said, through the COVID testing, through the feeding, uh, through some type of counseling, uh, helping them find jobs, you know, getting getting them from place to place, wherever they need to go, especially with the elderly in our community. So it's, it's definitely been a lot because uh, we were kind of hit with this as everybody really uh, out of nowhere. You know, I tell my congregation all the time as I speak with them virtually, none of us knew 10 weeks ago that we would be in this situation today. And so it's definitely, definitely been been a hard task, if you will, but it's been fun. And so we're just we're just trying to reach the community in any way possible, mainly with making sure that people are fed and, uh, you know, they have all their essential needs met. How have you guys been sourcing food and how have you been sourcing medical supplies, including testing. I know testing is not easy to come by. 
Absolutely. Well, we've been sourcing it through partnership. Uh, I believe, you know, Ryan, in the power of partnership, two are better than one. Uh, you know, why try to do something on your own when somebody else is probably already doing it? It's just a matter of really partnering or connecting. And so as it relates to the COVID-19 testing, we were able to partner with uh, the Fulton County Health Department. And so they have a mobile unit whereby they uh, they came out and actually we're getting scheduled uh, for them to come back out. And so we partnered with them. And then as it relates to uh, the sourcing of our food, we are uh, we are partnering with uh, the Chris 180 Community Service Group and the uh, Urban Food Forest. And then, of course, if people want to donate food, you know, we've had people to donate food, diapers, anything that's essential. Our two main sources are those partnerships, Chris 180 as it relates to the food and uh, the Urban Food Forest. If somebody wanted to donate food or diapers or any of those kind of things, what's the best way for them to do that? The best way for them to do it would be to just come by the church. Our address, of course, is 1025 McDonald Boulevard uh, here in Atlanta. I always like to tell people, you know, if, you, if you're familiar with Atlanta, of course, the uh, Starlight Movie Theater, we are literally right across the street from there. And so they can just uh, drop it by the church. Yes, sir. Well, you know, I drive by there in normal times, not COVID times, but right. in normal <laughs> times when Black Halls open, I drive by Mount Nebo often five times a week. Okay. More. Yeah. Uh, you know, because we, you know, I'll take Moreland down and then hit, I think it's Bailey that then turns into Constitution. Right. But, you know, to get to Black Hall from, you know, the 20 freeway, you either take Moreland right by Mount Nebo or you might go over to like Flat Shoals and right. come in the back way. But we're often right there on Moreland. And so, you know, I've wondered a lot about that church. I, I didn't know anything about you or your congregation, but. It's obviously a large church. Tell us a little bit about Mount Nebo itself today. How many members are, are at that church? And, and tell us about some of the history. It sounds like a really rich history. Oh, wow. I'm Absolutely. Uh, Mount Nebo has a very, very rich history. And I, I will say this. Um, I've only been here now about, it's been a year, it's, it's been a little bit over a year and uh but i of my predecessor i was able to succeed a uh a wonderful wonderful uh giant of a preacher and pastor who pastor who served here for 50 years pastor aj uh mcmichael uh, the church started out on kipling street and then they moved into this facility and i think we've been in this facility now uh roughly over over 20 years and so um you know, Mount Nebo has been the leading force uh, and in a, a very innovative church in a lot of areas, especially as it relates to education. Um, I think Mount Nebo was one of the first African-American churches to have a, um, a Christian academy. You know, this church has really, really been serving this community uh, ever since its inception, which was 120 years ago. Uh, our church right now ranges anywhere between 500 to 700 members. Of course, the church is growing tremendously. Uh, when I got here, you know, we were we started growing. Then, of course, COVID-19 hit, and now that we aren't able to gather publicly, you know, what's so beautiful, Ryan, is that we are having people to actually join and connect our church virtually. Uh, you know, we're just in in the rebuilding stages, if you will. Of course, you know, Pastor McMichael served for 50 years and, um, you know, times were definitely different then than they are now. And so, we, you know, we're just trying to, you know, keep the church relevant, keep it on top and just keep it moving, man. What kind of things are you guys doing online? Like how, how could people find you online if people want to attend virtual church? How do they do that? 
They can log on to our website, which is www.mountnebo.org.org or Facebook. Uh, Our Facebook page is Mount Nebo Baptist Church and Life Center. And uh, we offer online services every Sunday morning at 10 o'clock. And our services are live. We do practice, you know, the social distances and we keep our numbers down. They're actually live. Uh, to where we have our band, our praise team, and our AV team here. And then on Wednesday nights at 7 o'clock where I teach. Uh, our virtual service on Sunday, we we try to keep it within an hour, hour 15 minutes. So we go from 10 to about 11, 15. And then on Wednesday nights, uh, same way you can you know catch us through our website. And there's a uh, link there that says join us live, watch us live. And um, it starts at 7 o'clock, and I go from about 7 to 7.45. And it's really all about very impactful uh, all about, you know, just giving people words of inspiration and encouragement uh, as we continue to go through these, you know, through these tumultuous times, man. Yeah. Give our listeners a little Bible lesson in what Mount Nebo, where that name comes from. Mount Nebo comes from uh, Deuteronomy, uh, and I, oh, I don't want to quote it wrong, but I think it's Deuteronomy, the last chapter of Deuteronomy. Basically, Mount Nebo was the place where Moses died. Um, Moses, of course, in Deuteronomy, he speaks his his final message, if you will, to the new generation of Israelites who are about to cross over uh, into the promised land. They have been wandering the wilderness uh, for 40 years, and they had finally made it to the place where, where they were on the edge, if you will, of crossing over into where God would have them to be. And so right before uh, God took Moses, he uh, took him up to this mountain called Mount Nebo, and it is there where he allowed him to see the promised land. And uh, basically, you know, he, he Moses already knew that he wasn't going into the promised land because he disobeyed God. And so God in essence says, I'm going to allow you to see it, but you won't be able to enjoy it. And so it is there uh, where pretty much Moses Moses was able to see the promised land and is there where Moses died. And, of course, God buried him. But, you know, we don't know where he was necessarily buried. But that's the significance of Mount Nebo. It was a place where Moses was able to, and we use this actually as a part of our vision statement. We call it the Nebo experience uh, because when Moses went up on the mountain of Nebo, uh, he was able, he had an experience, an encounter with God. And so, I'll think it's the same encounter that Moses had with God when he went to Mount Nebo. It's amazing, Ryan, because uh, our church sits on this on this hill, if you will. It's like a it's like a hill or a little mountain. And uh, Pastor Man Michael was explaining that to me, you know, how the church was constructed and how the land was when the church purchased it. And uh, so we say that when you come to Mount Nebo, you'll see God's plan clearly. You will hear his voice with clarity. You'll feel his presence more closely. Because when Moses went to Mount Nebo, God showed him his plan uh, and of the promised land. Uh, he heard the voice of God clearly, and uh, he felt God's presence with him. And so that's that's pretty much the history of Mount Nebo as it relates to, you know, the Bible. Yeah. So there's not a lot of things in America that are 120 years old. I mean, you can find many more in the Northeast. But right. in general, you know, 120 years ago, you know, in L.A., USC was being founded. So, I mean, these are wide swaths of time over multi-generations. What was the church like in its original form, in its original founding? What's some of that story? And then I'll have some other questions about how it evolved. 
from based upon the history, of course, you know, it started out as anything does. It, start, it started out, you know, rather rather small, if you will. Always been involved in the community. Uh, I think the, the the biggest or the greatest thing that really touched this community in and of itself was the academy, the Mount Nebo Christian, Christian Academy. Uh, but this church has always been represented uh, with a with the widespread of generations. So the church obviously was very involved in Atlanta during the 60s and right. 70s and all of that uh, great movement that was happening in the South and, and the civil rights movement that had impact all across the country. Was it called Mount Nebo Baptist during those years? Or Yes, sir. Yes. All, the, what's the name evolution? It's always been Mount Nebo uh, Baptist Church. And then, of course, once the uh, our family life center uh, which is about 20,000 plus square feet were added to the campus. Then, you know, Pastor Matt Michael attached uh, Mount Nebo Baptist and Life Center. Uh, but when he was here and even with his predecessor, you know, heavily involved in, uh, in from the political aspect of, you know, within the African-American community, making sure that people were registered to vote, I was told uh, that, uh, you know, we were actually trying to get our church to become a polling site at one time. But I do know that within the civil rights movement and a lot of things, even with um, uh, Al Sharpton, you know, he would come to town and our predecessor served on uh, served, served with the uh, uh, Action Network. And uh, he was one of the representatives here in Georgia, but uh, very heavily involved, you know, in the in the political arena as it relates to making sure that, you know, census reports were filled out, uh, you know, our people were registered to vote and they actually got out to vote. And our church is still actually heavily involved with those things. Tell me about that. What, what do you think the church's role in politics is and, and how how does a church member best serve his church community relative to his political community? I think it's the same thing. I don't. I don't think it changes. It you know the same thing that was done uh, with Mount Nebo back in the '60s and '70s as it relates to policy. Just just making sure that our people are well informed, and that you know that's so key. That's so critical. Uh, you know that we speak truth to power as it relates to spiritual matters, but even as it relates to those political matters. You know, making sure that the people are well informed, making sure that our government officials, you know, hear our voice um, and know, you know, what it is that uh, those things that we as a church, you know, would like to see happen within our communities, because, you know, the church is the backbone of the community. People, you know, have a certain reliance or dependency upon the church. And so, you know, we believe in speaking truth to power. We believe in uh, making sure that our people are informed uh, and making sure that, again, you know, they're registered to vote, especially our young people, and that they get out and vote uh, and that they fill out their census report. As a matter of fact, we've been we've been pushing uh, the census. Uh, we know that it has been extended, but we've really been pushing uh, that, you know, people make sure you fill out your census report so that you can be counted. And, you know, making sure that people understand what's going on politically and uh, that they get out and vote. Yeah, because, of course, you know, your your vote is your voice. And so uh, we, we really, really drive that and letting our government officials know, you know, where we are, where we stand and, you know, what we would like to see happen. So let's set the idea of heaven aside for a second. That's an entire conversation in and of itself. Right. Let's imagine, <laughs> right. Let's imagine that I am a 25-year-old young man trying to find my way in the world and I wander into your church and I say, Pastor... What is my calling as a human being? 
Wow. Since your approach was to lay heaven aside, we all have the calling to serve. In whatever capacity you have been called to serve, uh, you know, of course, that's something that we can help lead and guide you into. But at the end of the day, you know, we've all been called to serve. I remember and what comes to mind as I think about that is a story when Jesus was uh, walking with his disciples and after, um, you know, he uh, performed a miracle. Uh, they were kind of going back and forth as it relates to who was the greatest. And, you know, Jesus asked them, in essence, what, what they were talking about. And they told him and he said, you know, the greatest amongst us is the one who serves. And so at the end of the day, we're all called to some degree or some level of service. And what if I say, I'd love to serve, but man, I'm selfish as hell. <laughs> and, I, <laughs> and, right. and my soul seems to be broken. How do I heal my soul? Well, and and that's the key. You you have to you have to of course heal your soul. You have to uh whatever it is that has broken your soul, it has to be dealt with. You have to be, you know, of course honest and true to it. I like to tell people, you know, we got to stop dealing with the fruit of the problem and deal with the root. Because if we don't deal with the root, then the root is going to continue to produce the fruit. And so, you know, you can't, of course, it's it's very hard to serve people in certain capacities if you're still broken and if you're still hurting. And so I think uh, one of the best places to start healing one's soul is to, is to begin to walk into forgiveness uh, because that hurt came from something or someone. And so, you know, whatever it is you may be holding on to that's causing that hurt or causing that pain, you know, you got to forgive and, you you know, you got to let it go and, and keep moving. Because, again, you know, you want to be able to serve people uh, from a free heart, you know, and, and not with not with resistance. And if you're walking around, you know, broken and if your brokenness comes from uh, someone or something that hurt you, you know, you, you, you got to be willing to forgive and let it go so that you can help heal somebody else. What are the spiritual exercises that are part of the Baptist tradition for that kind of healing? Well, of course, prayer, uh, of course, counseling, uh, you know, Bible studies, and then the, the connectivity of small groups to where you can be a part of a group or of you know a set of people, if you will, that you can relate to. Uh, but you know, a lot, a lot of counseling, a lot of conversation, uh, of course, studying of the word, reading the word, hearing the word. You know, the Bible says faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. And so, the more word that I hear, then you know that healing will eventually take place in my life. But I believe, you know, in the power of connecting people, uh, the power power of what I like to call spiritual friendships, you know, where you have someone that you can relate to, they can relate to you, and you can be open, you can be real, raw, and honest about, you know, who you are and, ba and what you're dealing with. Where does a pastor get that, right? Where, if you're leading a flock, well, absolutely. Where, do you, where do you go for that kind of spiritual friendship? You have to have another pastor. A pastor needs another pastor. He needs a mentor. Uh, he needs someone that can speak into his life. But here it is, Ryan, not only spiritually, but even a counselor from a secular perspective, if you will, because you, you got to have that balance. And so, you know, it's good to, you know, just because you have a psychiatrist, you know, that you go and sit on the couch, if you will, and talk to doesn't mean that you're crazy. It just means that you need somebody that you can turn to, you can express yourself to, that's really not tied to what you do. 
and so oh yeah every 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 pastor needs needs a, a mentor a pastor on the spiritual side but you also need a counselor on the secular side that you can talk to oh yeah what do you think when you look at society today and you're dealing with problems at the ground level inside of families inside of society as a whole but localized and you see it like you you see it touch it feel it these are the people that you encounter what do you believe are the things that are standing in the way most of people's finding healing for their souls? I believe what's standing in the way the most is the, is the fear of walking in freedom. That may sound, you know, kind of crazy because a lot of times, Ryan, when, when people are dealing with things, they become comfortable. Uh, it's the fear of stepping out of that comfort zone and actually walking into newness or walking into freedom. I believe that it's the fear of being judged. It's the fear of what it requires, uh, you know, to find that healing because it takes work. You know, it requires work. A, a lot of people just want it to happen, but they don't want to put in the work. And so, you know, it requires work. I believe that we got to step away and step aside from the excuses and, uh, you know, just be willing to put in the work, you to put in the work to in that freedom. Uh, because, again, like I said, a lot of people, you know, we we become comfortable with playing the victim. Uh, you know, Jesus, I'm reminded of a story, you know, when Jesus went to the pool of Bethesda, there was a man who had been there. You know, the Bible says for 38 years and and he, he asked him, he says, do you want to be made whole? Do you want to, you know, get well? And, you know, he comes up with all these excuses, but here he is. He has the master standing right there in front of him, offering him, you know, a new life, offering him healing from his brokenness. And instead of him just walking in it, I believe his fear was, you know, he wouldn't get the attention that he received anymore because he was able to be the victim, if you will. Uh, you know, he was able to get certain attention. And so a lot of people, you know, we become comfortable with where we are. And so that that coming out of our comfort zones, uh, you know, is a, is a big fear that people have of getting that healing. So if I get out of my comfort zone and I seek this healing, paint me a picture of what the fullness of life might be for me if I entered more as deeply as I could into it. Oh, what does that look like on earth, fullness of life? Well, the fullness of life has to do with really salvation, that which has to do with embracing all that God has for you. Again, it goes back to something that we mentioned a, a, a few minutes ago. You know, you, you can't walk in your fullness, or I like to put it this way. You don't find fulfillment in life until you are truly walking in your call. And when you are allowing God to really use you the way that he that he wants to use you. And so that picture is a picture really, you know, of you uh, walking around with your head up, you know, your chest out, your shoulders wrapped back with a smile on your face uh, and really doing what you've been called and ordained to do. It's, it's all about the happiness, if you will, or the joy. Let me replace that word happiness with joy. It's really all about the joy that comes with it. You you feel better, you look better, uh, you act better, you you know, you it's it's just it's it's a whole it's a it's a level of greatness that you feel uh and that you'll express, you know, with how you serve other people as it relates to, you know, that newness. So we're neighbors, as we talked about. How can we work together 
and have a vision for bringing fullness of life to our community. And let's say our community is everything south of the 20. Okay. Right, south of the 20 and east of the 7585. Right, let's say that's our world inside the 285, this, this southeast corner of Atlanta. How do we bring fullness of life to that part of town? One of the greatest things that, that we can do is exactly what we're doing now. Number one, entering into a partnership. Number two, uh, having conversations, but those conversations come from being, being, you know, within the community, within the area, uh, putting boots on the ground, if you will, to find out those needs that that's in the community in which we in which we serve. And then we come together, use our resources, use our platforms to, of course, uh, give the information, but then give all of the services that are needed. And so for me, it's all about partnership. Who do you think is coordinating those kind of partnerships? I mean, who who can be our the hub of our wheel, so to say? Well, uh, well, in, of course, people you know that's on the inside, if you will, people that have influence. Uh, you know, with just like with with the connection that we've made uh, here now, you know, uh, one of our members, Evelyn Mims, and whoever whomever you may know, uh, not just from a church, if you will, or a uh, spiritual perspective, but even from a secular perspective, because, you know, those individuals, they have things to offer, you know, from a governmental perspective. However, whatever influence that we have, uh, where we can pull resources, where we can pull people together, you know, to make change happen in our communities, we just have to find what I would deem in my church as a outreach coordinator, outreach director, who has their feet on the ground, who has their ear uh, to certain things to hear about what's going on, what's about to happen, what's about to shift, and then bring us all together, you know, to make some programs and, and to make some things happen. Sounds like we need some sort of like Southeast Atlanta community czar. Yes, sir. Right. Yes, sir. Community, community togetherness coordinator. Right, right, uh, right. Because, you know, I certainly feel like – trying to imagine and cast a vision for the southeast of Atlanta is less clear to me because I feel like I have less understanding about who the players are and right. how the players can work together. Right, right. Do you feel that way or do you think you could help me learn more about how to feel connected in this part of town? Well, I, I, I feel the same way uh, in a sense because, like I said a few minutes ago, I'm fairly new as it relates to pastoring in this area. Uh, but I definitely feel as though we can help connect each other uh, because there are people in my church, you know, that know uh, the players, if you will, and that can get us connected. I mean, that's happening, you know, literally at least once a week within our church. I've been able to connect with so many people because of people, you know, that have been working in this community, working in this area, and that know the players. And some of those players, uh, you know, from what I'm learning, actually come out of this community and are willing to reach back into the community to help. Um, for instance, uh, the young lady that uh, that runs the Urban Food Forest, uh, she grew up, you know, in the Thomasville Heights community. And so she knows a lot of the players. And so I've been connected with her and uh, and she's connecting me with other people, uh, both especially, you know, within the on the within the political arena and uh, those community activists and those people that are really, really trying to change the community. So I think I know for a fact that we can definitely help each other do that. And I'm willing to do it, man. 
Well, I'd love that. I mean, I'd, I'd love to be part of those conversations and figure out yes, the sir. ways that we could have impact on this part of Atlanta over the long, you know, short term and long term. Right. Share with Absolutely. me some of those things. So imagine, imagine that I gave you, I don't know, a it's a magic wand. You can't do anything, but you can do some magical things on the short term and the long term. What are some of the magical things you'd like to see happen in the short term? And what are some of the magical things you'd like to see happen over the long term for that part of town? Oh, wow. Well, number one, getting people to really see who they are, getting people to really value themselves and valuing one another. And then, you know, both really from a long term and short term perspective, getting people to not only see themselves valuing themselves and each other, but walking into, you know, their gift, their purpose, their passion, living out their purpose, living out their passion. Um, and then, you know, just not only developing themselves and walking in their passion, but reaching back and and helping others get to where they're supposed to be. Because, right, I believe that within all of us, you know, there is a level and there is a degree of greatness. And, you know, we have to go after it, you know, finding out what your convictions are and living out your purpose, uh, you know, educating our young people uh, more. And again, just getting us more involved, you know, within the community uh, on every level. And so with that magic wand, I think it'll start with me just really, really getting people to see who they are, because I know, you know, as for me, uh, you know, God called me as a pastor to help lead and guide people uh, to walk in walk in God's best in every area of their lives. And so not only does that relate, you know, spiritually, but it also relates physically uh, and it also relates, you know, within our soulless realm emotionally. And so just, you know, with that magic wand, short term, getting people just to boom, really, really tap into who they are and begin to walk, you know, into their greatness and then long term. They're walking in their greatness and then, of course, uh, reaching back, you know, helping others to walk into their greatness. Uh, of course, short term, you know, dealing with the um, uh, the economic uh, disparities that exist just within just within our community and uh, really pe getting people to see, you know, the importance of just being involved and, you know, taking care of the community and, uh, you know, doing again, walking in their purpose and what God has ordained. So I've read somewhere that you describe yourself as radical. I mean, obviously, even just calling people to greatness is pretty radical. Right. But what do you think of when you think of somebody being radical in how they approach whatever? Out of the box. Um, out, of the out of the box. I mean, if, if I was to, you know, just shorten it out of the box doing something different, doing something out of the box that, that brings attention, but good attention, that that calls people to awareness, to look at either the circumstance or their situation and, you know, getting, pushing them to get out of the box. And so when I, when I say that I'm radical, that's just, I mean, I'm out of the box. I like to think out of the box. I like to do different, uh, innovative and, and creative cutting edge things. So for me, man, it's out of the box. You're not afraid to test it. You're not afraid to challenge the status quo. Right, because one, once I have a conviction on something, you know, I'm I'm going to stand on that conviction. And, you know, no matter how many times I get knocked down, no matter how many times, you know, the door 
is closed in my face or whatever. I'm going to get up. I'm going to keep grinding. I'm going to keep going based upon that conviction that I have because I know that when it's in my heart and when it's in my spirit, I got to go after it, you know, no matter what. And if it takes radical steps to do it and to make it happen, that's what we got to do. As long as it's in righteousness and integrity. <laughs> no, right. Well, that's interesting. You talk about integrity, which is, you know, I have a lot of friends who live radical lives, but their their version of radical is intensity, intensity of success, intensity of uh, dating life, intensity of money making, uh, intensity of prestige, right? And a lot of these things can be really vices mm -hmm. and destructive vices that actually seem like they don't even lead to happiness. Wow. How do you think if you were if, if you sat down with one of my friends who had every worldly success and I said to you, teach this man how goodness plays a role or is maybe even essential to happiness, how would you describe that goodness and happiness and how they relate? Well, number one. I would um, deal with the whole notion of happiness from the perspective of I think one of the reasons why, you know, we, we go after a lot of the things that, that we go after, uh, as you as you describe from a radical perspective, no matter what, is because we are looking for that degree of happiness. And we think that, you know, gaining a lot of material things, if you will, uh, can create that that level of happiness. Happiness is temporary. Uh, I learned a long time ago, man, that happen, happiness depends on your happenings. And so whatever your happenings were at that time that made you happy, when that runs out, then what do you have to lean on? And so it really starts on the inside. Um, you, you know, you, you, that person would have to, I would rather deal with that person from the inside out which changing that happiness to joy because joy is that innate feeling that, you know, no matter what goes on in my life, I know that everything is going to be all right. And so we try to, you know, we, we try to gain a lot of material things and we, you know, because we think that that's what makes us happy. And so it, for me, it will start with getting that person to understand the difference between happiness and joy and working with them from the inside. Because, you know, Jesus asked the question, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and to lose his own soul? And so you got to make sure that the soulish man, the inside of you is intact and is right. And then, you know, we can work on everything else outside of that. I hear you making a distinction of happiness that I may or may not want to make philosophically, but I hear you thinking of a happiness that people could actually attain to that was somehow just serving their ego and making their ego feel like it was getting what it wanted. Mm -hmm. Is that is that fair, that the happiness I hear you describing? Oh, yeah. Like oh, the, yeah. The, the happiness that it, that it left, that's a happiness inside of vice. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I mean, and you have to, you know, you you have to again you got to move away from that and realize that again feeding your ego is not what is not what's going to make you happy it's just it's temporary because again when those things dissipate or go away that was feeding your ego then you right you pretty much right back at square one right so what you want to make the distinction is say listen you may feel 
what you believe is happiness, but it's really just feeding your ego. Exactly. And the moment you take away the things that feed your ego, then what do you have? And it's at that time you find out if you actually have true happiness or what I hear you referring to as joy. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because joy and, and you'll know it because when everything joy is, again, that that sense of undisturbed peace and contentment coupled with a positive expectation and anticipation of God's best in every situation. And so, you know, I like to put it the way, you know, the older elderly saints would put it. Joy is this deep down innate feeling that no matter what you go through, everything is going to be all right. And so as as we go through life and we use those things to feed our ego, you know when you've reached that level of joy because, you know, if you lose it, if it goes away, or if you can't, if you don't have that that level of happenings in your life anymore, you still know that everything is going to be all right. For instance, you know, uh, we can be happy, you know, those of us that are married, you can be happy as long as you and your spouse are sleeping in the bed together or if everything is cool. But when something goes wrong uh, within your marriage, you know, can you still, you know, do you still, do you have that feeling that everything is going to be all right? You know, as long as stuff is good in our lives, you know, when we are happy, but when stuff starts going bad, you know, do you still have that same sense of, I know it's going to be all right. And that kind of takes us to really where we are, you know, what we're dealing with, with this whole, you know, COVID-19 pandemic. Ten, ten weeks ago, you know, every, everything was good. I mean, the economy was good. I mean, people were working, uh, you know, everything seemed to seem to be good. Then, boom, all of a sudden, you know, it's like you got furloughs, you know, you got layoffs, you got people losing their jobs, you know, you got people being threatened to lose their homes, you know, you got people all of a sudden gotten sick, you know, but do you still in all of this have that sense of, but I know everything is going to be all right. That's really where we got to get to, because once you get to that point, then, you know, it it won't be so easy to fall into a, a place or a space of depression, despondency and despair. Do you think I'm out of line to say that true happiness can only be achieved with true soul goodness? No, I, no, I don't. I don't. Th I don't think you're out of line because that's where it really starts. It starts with within our soulless realm. Uh, you know, the mm -hmm. Bible teaches us that we're a tripart type in being. I'm a spirit being. I live inside of a physical body and I possess a soul. My soul is made up of my mind, my will, my imagination, my intellect, and my emotions. And so, when my soul is right, and when my soul uh, it's good, then, you know, everything else around me, you know, uh, is good. And that joy, you know, exudes from my soul, from my soulless realm. So that's, that's, a, I think you're exactly right in saying that that's where it starts within my soul. You are clearly a student, a learner, a very curious soul. Who are the authors that have ignited your spiritual imagination? Oh, man, uh, from Martin Luther King, of course, even uh, even Malcolm X, uh, a theologian by the name of Watchman Nee, uh, Charles Spurgeon, the Swiss reformer John Calvin, uh, and then, you know, some contemporary, one of my mentors, uh, Bishop I.B. Hilliard, of course, my own father, uh, Aaron Jones, Jr., uh, those those are some of really, really right off the top of my head I can name. Yeah, <laughs> amazing. I, I mean, I think that's an interesting collection when you put Spurgeon and Watchman Nee and John Calvin all in the same. Yeah, you know, same category. What would you say? Like, let's say, tell me one thing that you took away from Calvin 
And one thing that you took away from Watchman Nee that have helped blend into this spiritual imagination that you possess today. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. And that's a rough one there. Probably, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You caught me off guard. Yeah, probably John's Cal, probably John's Calvin's uh, perspective. Oh man, really? Both of them on on probably salvation. Um, mm. Oh man, that's oh yeah. You you yeah you got me with that one. Uh, I'm trying to think of a book that I just that I just looked at a couple of weeks ago that I was going to go back and read by Watchman Nee. But I, I think it's I think it's both it, it's both their perspective as it relates to you know, this whole walk with God, uh, mm-hmm. and, and, and the seriousness and the, and the deepness behind it, you know, I, both of them really, especially Watchman Nee, both of them really, you know, causes you to think, think a little bit deeper, uh, think mm-hmm. outside of the box and off of the surface. Uh, mm-hmm. but as far as specifics, oh man, yeah, you, you, you kind of caught me off guard with that one. I, I, that one I have to think about. <laughs> well, the, you know, the thing that, the thing that I was kind of angling toward there is okay. I think that Watchman Nee, for all his good, bad, ugly, you know, I mean, we're all human beings and we all have different perspectives and Watchman, I look at as somebody who is very willful. Right. Right. Who believes right. in like the, the power Right of the human being to shape the world. Right, 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 right. Whereas, whereas John Calvin is much more concerned with God's power to shape the world. Right, 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 right. Absolutely, absolutely. All but right. and, and, so, and so there are and times the, they feel like they they could be very contradictory. Right, and, and I Watchmen was about feels like he's saying if you don't act, this world's going to fall apart. Right, right. And and, yeah, and so, John and, Calvin will say if you don't act, well, you know what, everything's going to be fine. And 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 that's where that's where you have to be able to what I like to say, you know, chew the meat and spit out the bones, because in all actuality, it's the two that have to work together in order to make it happen, because we as human beings, we are God's agents in the earth working for him and he works through us to make it happen in the earth. And so you have to really be able to mesh you know, their two perspectives and, and bring them together as it relates to why humanity exists, period. Right, I love that because I think of Calvin as an incredible thinker relative to the calling of the greatness of God. Absolutely. Right, and I think he falls on his face right. with a lot of stuff relative to man. Right, and man's role in the universe, where a guy like Watchman is not going to screw that up. Right, <laughs> right, right, Absol- right. He is going to make sure you know that you have a calling. Right. And that you're essential, right? And that's and that's one of the, that's one of the things I think that really caused me to to want to like Watchman Nee, because that's what he stresses that whole idea of you know you are essential, you know your calling may not be my calling, my calling may not be your calling, but you are essential, you are important, you have a role to play within this universe. And if you don't play it, things might not go right. Absolutely. There it is. Yeah. I, and I, I am a firm believer in that. You know, you don't find fulfillment in life um, and you really aren't able to enjoy something that can, we can, you, you kind of alluded, we talked about a few minutes ago, until you walk in that fulfillment, until you start fulfilling that call and you live out your purpose. Pastor, we're running out of time, but I've got one final question for you. Yes, sir. Imagine for me five years from now, Mount Nebo Baptist Church and the southeast of Atlanta. What would you like to see different than today? 
Oh, I would definitely like to see um, our school systems in this area better. I would definitely like to see more of us uh, come together in this area. I would like to see uh, really, you know, this area being being the leading force, if you will, with what goes on, not only in the state of Georgia, but uh, but in Atlanta, period. Um, you know, again, you know, of course, the educational piece and even 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 the spiritual side. But again, just the awareness, the awareness of our people uh, knowing who they are and how valuable they are. I would like to see, of course, more, uh, you know, a lot of the disparities that exist now uh, to be gone away with, if you will, as it relates to health care. Uh, as it relates to, uh, you know, uh, better retails and things of that nature within this community. Uh, I would like to see it really, Ryan, flipped upside down. Well, I think we can do some of that together. You know, I, I would love it. I don't know if you'd be open to this, but I would love to get to know more of the other religious leaders in the southeast of Atlanta. Yes, sir. And that we can figure out ways that we might work together for the community good. We're We're in the process of of a, of a program uh, that we're instituting with the Georgia Film Academy and DeKalb County Schools wow. at McNair High School. That is wow. a, you know, a very significant uh, film program that I don't, they, they haven't figured out administratively if it's a charter school or uh, just how that all fits together relative to all the administration of a, of a school district. Okay. But what we do know is we have a lot of people that all want to help and all want to make uh, McNair High School a center of film learning. Wow. But I think that could be, you know, these kind of things can be things that we do at all the schools in that area, various, you know, in various ways. And so maybe you could help me gather the right people. Yes, sir. To start trying to think through how to do this in better and better ways. Yes, sir. I'll be I'll be more than happy to do it. I'll be honored to do it. Let's work together, man. Let's let's do it. Whatever whatever way that I can do it, whatever way that Mount Nebo, uh, whatever role we are able to play, we'll be more than happy to do it. All right. Well, we'll coordinate that, and we'll you know we'll start having some dialogue. Yes, sir. I really appreciate you being on the Black Hall podcast today, Pastor Jones. You are great. We're lucky to have you in this part of town. I appreciate you sharing your your mind and your spirit with us today. Yes, sir. Well, Ryan, I definitely appreciate you having me on. Thank you so much. Um, I am deeply honored, deeply humbled, uh, and I'm excited, you know, of course, to be in this area pastoring and uh, leading. And uh, But more importantly, man, I'm looking forward to working with you and uh, seeing the changes and the things that we can uh, put in place to impact this community. Well, I look forward to it as well. Yes, I hope sir. you have a great week, and thank you. You do the same. Yes, sir. Thank Talk you so much. All right. Bye yes, bye. sir. I'll leave you guys with thoughts that I write on Instagram. I perceive shadows to be real things. And then in knowing real things, I learned to pay no attention to shadows. Thanks for listening to the Black Hall Studios podcast with Ryan Millsap. We want to hear from you. Find us on SoundCloud iTunes, or Spotify. And follow us on Instagram at at Black Hall Studios and at Ryan.Millsap.